Welcome to The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. Before we get into this episode, I want to ask a favor. There's a survey down in the description of this show that allows us to figure out how you are enjoying the show thus far. Take less than five minutes to complete. I'd greatly appreciate you and anyone that's willing to complete it. We want to hear from you, the listener, and I want to make future episodes more focused on what you like to hear. So if you wouldn't mind, take some time, complete the survey, and it would mean the world to me. And I want to say also, if you haven't already, share this show with anyone that you feel as if they would learn or gain something from it. The stories shared on this show are life-changing, not just for me and not just for my guests, but for you, the listeners. And there's many more stories to be told. So please share the show. We have stories to share and mindsets to change. Now, let's get into the show. Today's guest is a former diplomat churned growth marketer. Throughout his years, he's lived in seven different countries and currently speaks five languages with the motto of mindset as a cornerstone for what he does now. Florian Dicklet has revolutionized his own life along the way, breaking the mold of pulling businesses to him through inbound lead generations, all through strategies and skills of writing better copyright, progressing into content creation, and widening his knowledge on the human psychology. This in turn has allowed him to market himself in his newest endeavors in non-traditional ways. Throughout this episode, we discuss social listening, entrepreneurial mindsets, and how it's never been easier to start a business. The stories and tips provided in this show can drastically change how you see a world full of opportunity. Florian, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really excited to have you here. Uh, it's always been a pleasure. I've loved your content from the very beginning. Uh, I've seen you become a diplomat. You talk about being a diplomat, learning five languages, getting into content marketing. So again, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really, you know, I'm always excited to to be on podcasts, and uh, you know, I love your content. I'm all about mindset as well. So, so yeah, it's only natural for me to 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 be here and i'm super excited to yeah to to have a chat with you for this for this episode yeah i really appreciate that i like to get the show moving forward in a certain kind of way and my favorite kind of activity i do it with all my guests thus far and and it's kind of just turning back the wheel of time i want to know who florine was on the playground who was florine as a kid Uh, i was a shy kid I was uh, I, like I was just terrified of talking to anyone. Like to to give you an idea of how shy I was, uh, I think it was the second year of kindergarten. There was a school photo, and you know, so you have to line up and you have like you know everybody has to look at a camera and say cheese and like you know people are smiling. <laughs> yes, everybody was looking straight into the camera. There was one kid looking at his at his feet, and that was me. I was just looking at staring at my feet on the school picture. That's how shy I was. So I was, I was just terrified of talking to people. I was terrified of putting myself out there. Uh, I was terrified of upsetting anyone. So yeah, I think if you met me when I was yeah five, six, seven, like or when I was in elementary school, like, I would be like that, that really sweet kid, very nice kid. Uh, you know, always willing to help or to hang out, but you know, I wouldn't make the first step because I would just be scared of talking to you. 
Yeah, that really kind of makes sense. And I, I, I get that. And it's kind of funny now knowing where you are now in the content marketing and kind of putting <laughs> your voice out there. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite. Uh, yeah, I think if you told me that when I was a kid, I, I wouldn't have believed you. But yeah, you know, but it's, yeah, it's a great uh, example of how things can change, right? Yeah, exactly that. And that, that's what I absolutely love. And I kind of want to know in that regard, what, who did Florain want to be when he was growing up? What did he want to be? Uh, well, so I, I, so to give you some background, I, I grew up in France, right? So I was born in the U.S., but grew up in France. So I'm, I'm a dual citizen, French-American. And uh, France hosted the World Cup of, so- of a f- uh, football World Cup, well, s- soccer World Cup for American listeners, uh, in 98. And uh, France won the World Cup, actually. Like, we beat Brazil 3-0. So for a good part of my childhood, I wanted to be a soccer player. Because, you know, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And, like, you know, like, the soccer just, you know, was already big. And it became huge after, after we won the World Cup. Yeah, so I wanted to be a soccer player. Uh, then I realized I wasn't that good at soccer. So I wanted to be a soccer coach. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that, that, didn't, that didn't work out. So, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, f- coaching... Yeah, coaching and like, you know, transmitting knowledge and like, you know, motivation and stuff has always been something I'm interested in. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, it didn't come true. But, you know, maybe it's for the better because, you know, s- s- coaching is, uh, especially in sports, sports co- coaching is incredibly stressful. So, yeah, you, know, you can just get fired like this. So, I would yeah, probably be unemployed kind of- now. <laughs> yeah, you're kind. Of, you're probably yeah. You're on the cutting block pretty quickly if the team doesn't perform well. So it's definitely high stress. A lot of energy goes into that. Um, I, in that regard of just again wanting to be and seeing that stuff, it's kind of it's super interesting. Again, your just story of being dual citizenship, being French American, if you will, um, in this regard. And then some maybe some of our listeners don't know, but you're currently in Thailand, right? In Bangkok. Oh, yeah. So, I, I, I'm from, I like to say I'm from everywhere and nowhere at the same time because I, so I was born in the US. I grew up in France. I've lived in eight different countries around the world. Uh, and whenever I move to a new country, I just like doing a deep dive. So I don't try to have the expat lifestyle. I just try to be, to be very local. And, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's a long story, but yeah, that at the end of the day, like I, I've traveled a lot. I love traveling. I love putting myself out there. And I think it's, it's a great, uh, you know, being able to move somewhere like very often and just adapt to a new culture and a new environment. I think it's just a testament of like how adaptable we actually are if we want to be adaptable. Yeah, and that's what I absolutely love about the human experience as well is just uh, as we kind of evolve and learn about ourselves, we're able to really figure out that adaptability component. Was that ever a fear of yours of just trying to fit in? Mm, trying to fit into like just uh, different well, cultures and such. Uh, that's a good question because uh, when if you if you think about my time in school, like yeah. Like I probably like you know I didn't want to upset anyone. Like I was scared of uh, upsetting people because I wanted to fit in, right? I wanted to have friends. I didn't want to have any problems and stuff. Um, but at the same time, I think like immersing myself in different cultures, it was more responding to a need to escape somehow. Like you know, it was just a way to like you know explore the world and like you know just uh, yeah, just try something new. Be a, uh, like it's like a new beginning when you think about it. You know, when you, you move somewhere new, nobody knows you. Uh, so you can kind of like start from scratch and build a whole new version of yourself uh, from from it. So I think that's why that's what's the main motivator for me. Um, 
I, I've you know I haven't really thought much about it, but so I'm just thinking out loud now. But I'm thinking maybe it was like you know I wasn't too happy with who I was back when I grew up. So like for me, traveling and like you know being in a new country was a great way to start from scratch and like build myself new. Uh, yeah, a new version of flow. And I guess like you know for version. The current version, like, you know, the guy you've seen today, you know, is the result of like many iterations in many different countries. Yeah, definitely. Eight different countries. And on top of that, you've also learned five different languages. What is your mindset to kind of continue onward? We know that you've been a diplomat and I want to get into that a little bit later. But what is your mindset through this regard of just finding yourself? How how are you able to kind of just reinvent yourself so easily uh, I, I think the number one thing is curiosity like i'm just i'm just curious like when i see something new that i don't know about i'm you know instead of saying like oh that's terrible I, i'm not interested i'm kind of like oh, that's that sounds pretty cool you know so so and that's how i really got into like foreign languages like i, I would you know I, I grew up in paris and uh, you know paris is one of the most visited city in the world at least before covid and uh, so you have people from everywhere, right? You have people from China, from Japan. You have people from the Middle East who show up. You have Americans. You have like people from every from Germany. And so you have all this mix of languages and all these people speaking all those different languages. I'm kind of like, man, it must be kind of cool to be able to speak to every single one of those people in their language, right? And but when you think about it, you know, learning a language is like learning how to speak again, because uh, you know you just you know you don't know the you know, you can't even say, you can't even say yes. You can't even say no. You can't even say, how are you? Uh, in some cases, you can't even read. You know? So it's, yeah, yeah. So it's a very humbling experience, but I think it was really driven by curiosity and the willingness to, uh, yeah, to, like, you know, seeing someone, I'm like, what about like speaking their language? You know, if they speak the language, it must not be that complicated, right? Yeah, it's got to be true in that regard. And I think this is kind of overlaying finding that I've come across through all of my guests is this, this immense curiosity. Mm. I know a lot of people say that curiosity is the core of innovation. For those that might be struggling to find their curiosity again, what words of wisdom would you kind of say to them to find that again? Uh, that's a good question because uh, uh, that's a good question because you can't really Build curiosity from scratch. You know, for, for example, like let, let me give you an example. Um, when I when I was a teacher, so in my previous career, like a lot of my students were into K-pop. Mm-hmm. I have zero interest in K-pop, but not even curiosity. I don't even want to know about it. <laughs> you know, so I'm not yeah. going to force my. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, it's great to be curious, but I'm not going to get out of my way to like learn about K-pop just because I'm curious. You know, so so what I would recommend is like try to find some. Some topics that you're, some general topics you're interested about. Like for example, let's say uh, you've never been out of the U.S. and uh, you know, and you like traveling inside the U.S. Okay, so for example, you're based in Atlanta. You like, you know, you enjoy going to Florida. You enjoy going to to D.C. You enjoy going to to Louisiana. So then, okay, so you take that hobby, so like travel. And then you're like, okay, how about I scale it up? And then I take it to like, how about traveling to a different country? So, uh, you know, what's the closest thing to North America? Well, it's probably like Australia or Europe, right? Okay, so how about traveling to Europe? And then you kind of like expand out of your comfort zone, but you still uh, you still relate it to something that you're already doing and that you already enjoy doing. 
And that's how you build the curiosity because then let's say you go to Europe, you go to the UK and then you're like, oh, there's something interesting about coffee shops in the UK. Maybe they're different or there's something different about candy. There's so much more sugar in uh, British candy or, uh, oh, there's something interesting in the way they, uh, in the way they dress. I, I, I don't know. I'm just making it up. But, you know, then once you're out there, then you can find some other stuff that kind of surprise you because you're in a new environment. You're going to notice new things. And then instead of saying like, oh, this is different, this is terrible, I try to find out why, ask some questions. And then you can, and then like, you know, by keep keeping on asking those questions, then you're going to end up with new ideas, new insights, new interests as well. Because, uh, you know, for, for example, you know, you might travel to a new country and then uh, let's say you travel to France, you find out about bread making and then that just becomes your new hobby because you're just... Yeah, you're just like, you know what, I went to France, I fell in love with bread making, now that's going to be my new hobby and I'm going to build something out of it, you know? Yeah, I think that's really, really powerful because, again, it's stemming from something that you're immensely already kind of curious about and then you're expanding it. And I think that really needs to be nailed down for a lot of people that trying to be an entrepreneur, trying to be an innovator, trying to be a leader – how do you expand that, right? How, are there different ways to lead? Are there different ways to innovate information? Is there a different way to do things in that way? And asking those questions is kind of important, you know? Definitely. And, and you can do that just by putting yourself in a different environment. You know, you don't, because sometimes, you know, when you're always in the same environment, you always have the same kind of stimulation, right? So let's say, for example, uh, like let's, let's take an example. You've all, you, you are in a town, like let's say there's like 10,000 people in your town and you know, it's, you got the same, same grocery store, same, same coffee shop, same bar, same people all, all day, every day, you know, and you've lived every whole life. So there's only so much simulation you're getting, right? Because, uh, at the end of the day, everything is very stable. And because everything is very stable, well, you know, you don't really question things because you're kind of like, oh, no, that's just the way it is. And that's fine. But then if you take yourself and you move to a place like Atlanta or you move to a place like New York, you know, big city, totally different dynamic. And then your brain gets a lot of stimulation and that's where you get exposed to different ways of doing things. You know, yeah, and completely you, different ways of thinking. Right, exactly. And then you're like, oh, I didn't know that you could do it like this, you know, because you had you just had never thought of it because in your town, that's just the way it was and you didn't and it was working fine. So you didn't have to think of a different way of doing of uh, thinking but then yeah. because you put yourself in a different environment your old ways weren't working and so you had to figure out a new way or observe a new way that's maybe better maybe worse but at least it's different yeah exactly and i think that's the biggest thing is that a lot of people don't switch up their environments of thinking a lot and that's been one of those big ways of kind of just revolutionizing your way of kind of actualizing reality if you will of how do you kind of comprehend or assimilate reality is that kind of what made you or led you into being a diplomat? I know that's kind of a history of throughout your, your development. What led you down that road? Uh, it's very simple. So I, I just fell in love with traveling when I was a, when I was a student. So I went backpacking through throughout Southeast Asia and a, a bit of Latin America. Like I had, like, you know, I studied abroad quite a bit. I, I just wanted to travel as much as I could. And I loved it. So I then I when I graduated, I thought to myself, okay, what's, what's a career where I could get paid to travel? And so, yeah, and so diplomacy came up because, you know, pretty much you get paid to like live in, uh, in countries. It's not always the nicest countries, but, you know, I mean, you get to discover new cultures. 
and uh, you know it's 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 pretty cool on paper, right? So that that's that was the main motivation uh, behind becoming a diplomat. But then, but then you know, there's always like how it looks like on the outside and what it actually like on the inside. And, you know, it turns out being a diplomat, it's a, it's a lot of paperwork, it's a lot of protocol, it's a lot of uh, formality, and yeah, I mean, you know, you know me from my content and stuff. Like, you know, I'm not the most formal kind of guy. So uh, it was, it just wasn't the right fit, you know. I think it was it was a great fit on paper, but yeah, I just wasn't wasn't enjoying the, the I just wasn't enjoying the opportunity. So I just I just moved on to something else. Yeah, and at that point where you're kind of finding that out, you're for one question. I'm curious, did you become a diplomat in a country? Yeah. So actually, well, it, it was yes and no. So let me explain. So. Uh, so there's two ways of becoming a diplomat. You can become a diplomat by taking uh, an exam. So in the US, it will be a foreign service exam. Uh, in France, they have another they have another exam. It's pretty much the same thing. You know, you you take a written test, you take an interview, and then they they take you in or they take you out. Um, so that's that's the first way. The second way is uh, in France, what they have is they have a, so it's a kind of like a replacement for the military service. So before France had a military service and for people who didn't want to be in the military, they could go work at an embassy. Uh, and actually the, emb- and when they, um, when they got rid of the military service back 20 years ago, embassies had a problem because they needed those guys to like, you know, process, uh, process work to do work, right? So they put together a contractor system where you could send like one year contracts and you could go work at an embassy for a year. So that's what I signed up for, which is great because I didn't go through the whole pain of like going through the diplomat's exam and then like, you know, after after one year saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not interested anymore. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, so that's how, that's how I got in. And uh, I got posted to uh, a country called Botswana. So that's in Southern Africa. Which was great. Like, you know, if you love traveling, like, you know, they have safaris there, beautiful deserts, uh, like beautiful wildlife, amazing region, amazing country. Uh, But yeah, it was just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't a right fit. Wow. So at that point, you're kind of finding this out. You're saying this is not it. This is not not what I expected diplomacy to be. What do you do? How do you again, how does Fullerane reinvent himself? I mean, uh, so for me, like after that, what I did, uh, I wanted to move to Thailand because my, my girlfriend back then, now my wife, she was, she was in Thailand. So, so my next goal was like, I need to move to Thailand one way or another. I need to find, uh, I need to find that, uh, I need to find an opportunity. Uh, so, so then I got, I got a job as a, a wine salesman. So I was selling uh, imported wines to restaurants, hotels, and stuff. I just I didn't want to go into sales in particular. I just wanted just any any opportunity. Turns out I didn't particularly enjoy sales, <laughs> but then like uh, it's but then like you know it's, it's always a formative experience to to do sales. So then after that, uh, I tried to do e-commerce for a bit. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, so I, I failed. Then I moved to teaching. Uh, I, I became a teacher and then a COVID hit didn't work out too well. And now I'm in the growth marketing. The, the, the thing is, and that's the main takeaway from my thing, you know, this is my, I think my fourth or fifth career and I'm only 31. The key is like, no matter how hard you drive, there's no, you're not going to find out how a job is or how something is unless you actually do it. 
because you know diplomat looks great on paper uh, but you know it's not a, but for me it wasn't the right fit uh, sales you know it can be a lot of fun for some people uh, like you know if you look on the outside yeah you know you get to meet a lot of people you can make good money and stuff but you know unless you actually do it you have no idea whether or not it's a great thing uh, teaching you know it's a really rewarding job and everything like you know it looks great on the outside on the inside yeah there's that, but you also have to manage like the difficult students, the difficult parents, and all these things. You know that's not always fun, and and that and that's it. And you know it's pretty much an entire uh, process of trial and error until you find the right fit. I'm absolutely fascinated with the story of Florine and how you're able to kind of just again, like you just said, five careers, 31 years old. How does that even happen? And what are you able to do to kind of just shut one door and press right on into the next? Like, how is that your flow without, and that kind of, no pun intended there, but how does that happen? Uh, I mean, sometimes it's just about recognizing what doesn't work. You just have to say, you know what, this, this is not working. I'm wasting my time. Uh, and then you just move on to something else. Uh, I think what happens is that a lot of people are just, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's because of fear of failure or like, you know, maybe it's uh, like, you know, they just don't want to acknowledge that they fail. Like, you know, oh, I made a I made a wrong choice or something. And so they stick to a career that they hate for like 10, 15, 20 years and then they have their midlife crisis and then they kind of like, what have, what have I been doing for the last 15 years? And for me, it's kind of like, well, you know, if it's not working, if you, you know, I'm not happy right now. Like for me, work is a really important part of my life. Uh, you know, I'm not happy. If I'm not happy at work, I'm not happy in life. Why would I make myself miserable? Uh, this is a wrong career for me. So I'm just going to move on to something else and then I'm going to keep on trying. It's a very selfish uh, motive, you know, it's just saying like, you know, I'm not happy. I want to be happy. This is not working. Therefore, I'll just move on to something else. And then it's all and then it's all about like learning a little bit from each career and then making an educated guess as to like, what do you uh, what will be your next move? So, for example, uh, ha, ha, so, sorry, sorry. So, for example, if, when I moved to teaching, I thought to myself, OK, well, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a coach. OK. So what's the closest thing to a coach? Okay, a teacher. I'm like, okay, well, teacher sounds great. But yeah, it turns out it's not exactly how how I imagined, but you know, at least I know now. Yeah, exactly. So you're exposing yourself to all these things. And I think that's the biggest kind of takeaway that the message that kind of has got to be conveyed to the listeners and those that are trying to want to be or having to like desire to take some risk or be an entrepreneur. Some would say that like entrepreneurship is a borderline gamble, right? They're, they're adrenaline junkies. They like to take risks. They like to take uh, a little bit more risk than the normal conservative, if you will. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that? Uh, they take risk, but then they can also, I mean, I think they take risk, but I think it's also they're really, they're really driven towards a goal. And uh, let, 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 let me give you some some background. So you know, we like uh, at the current company uh, I'm working for, uh, Red Dot. So what, one of the main things we do, we help entrepreneurs. So they show up with an idea with a product, and they're like, okay, I have this product. I just don't know who I'm going to sell it to. 
And so what we do, we make hypotheses and then we try to sell it to like different target audiences using different angles. And then we come up with data and say like, you know, either there's a market fit and we say, okay, we should, you should sell it to these guys using this message. Or sometimes there's just a bit of a market fit. Like, you know, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, maybe you should try these guys using this message, but we're not 100% sure. Or sometimes we just say, you know what, I'm sorry to say this, but no one wants to buy your product. And, and, and the thing is, it's a hard message. It's a, it's something hard to to convey because uh, you know no one wants to you know if someone's starting a business, no one's going to start a business if they think that their idea is terrible. So I, I think what happens with entrepreneurs is, you know, they have an idea, they really believe in it, and they're willing to like work extremely hard to make it work. And I think they don't necessarily see it as a huge risk because they believe so much in that idea that they're hundred percent sure it's going to work in their in their minds. And that's why sometimes they forget about, you know, of a, of a customer because they kind of are like, you know, they don't think about checking whether or not there's a need or market for what they're for what they're selling because they just like, you know what, this is an idea, this is awesome, I'm going to do it. And yeah, sometimes they're lucky, sometimes they're not. Uh, sometimes, but like 95% of the time, they're not lucky. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It, it, there, there's still a lot of washes there. And that's the thing is and we've seen in content, we see it in Justin Welsh's stuff and as well of any of those big leaders in the kind of content development is that we're seeing that people behind every entrepreneur, there's about a thousand failed businesses, right? There, there's a ton of ideas that have not come to fruition. So, if you're trying to instill entrepreneurship or solo entrepreneurship into someone else that's struggling to take that risk and that gamble, if you will, how they see, might see it, what's the advice to kind of encourage them along that way? Uh, well, I mean, the key is like, think about taking real, like really calculated risk, right? So thing is, the, the great news is it's never been cheaper to start a business. So, you know, I mean, you can I mean, you don't even you don't even need to create a product, right? I mean, all you need is a Gumroad page, and then just say what you're going to sell, and then like, you know, either push it to your LinkedIn audience if you have a LinkedIn audience, so if you don't want to pay for ad, or you can even buy a few Facebook ads and like you know like you know invest say like five hundred dollars in Facebook ads and then see the traffic and see how it converts, right? So the thing is, uh, my number one piece of advice is you know always make sure that there's a market, that there's a need for what you're building before before you start building it. How do you make sure that there's a need? So as I said, you know, you can uh, think of something and then like, you know, drive traffic to your landing page and then see how it converts. Another thing you can do, and actually uh, uh, I was talking about it with uh, with my friend Pierre on, uh, on our uh, live audio yesterday. It's about, so for example, you can do some social listening. So let's say for example, you're, you're an accountant and you want to create uh, you want to create a solution for accountants. What you can do, you can go to Facebook groups. Like you know, you can look up all accountants Facebook groups and you know you just join them and then you just see what's happening, you ask some questions and then you make some some uh, guesses, so, you know, so you give some pieces of advice and then you just see how people react. And by seeing the reaction, by seeing what people say, then you know what problems they have and what solutions they're working for. And then you can build a solution that's related to what they're looking for. Yeah, and I so think that's, that, and that's zero one, right? risk because, you know, you pretty much you essentially have a beta testing group. Like, you know, in that group, it's 100% free. <laughs> they're looking for a solution to a problem. So they, if you show up with a solution, they're going to they're gonna love you, right? Uh, 
they're gonna take it yeah they're gonna right. take it full hold yeah yeah that, that's the that's the big one right is this that's what entrepreneurship goes and finds is problems to solve and solutions to those problems and right. that that's kind of it right but that's the thing you don't have to be you don't have to be elon musk and like come up with all those crazy ideas you know i mean yeah like 99 percent of successful entrepreneurs are in a business which existed which has existed before you know it's like the plumbers it's like you know mm-hmm. restaurant owner things like that you know they don't do anything fancy they just do it well and you know that's how it works yeah, nobody's looking for you to reinvent the wheel, you know, just maybe add another spoke to the wheel. That's exactly. about it. Exactly. So I I know that I've struggled in my own regard and you're in content marketing right now, but anybody that's kind of wanting to be in content development, everybody's heard the strength behind personal brands and building up a personal brand and all the sorts and creating content. I know I've run into my own spells of dry spells and content creation. What's your go-to in kind of overcoming those same hurdles? Uh, yeah, so I mean, the dry spells is it's really a tough one because uh, you know personal branding. If you want to be successful at building a personal brand, you need to be consistent. Not just consistent, like you know, posting every day. Going to be consistent in your messaging as well. All right, because you can't be saying like. You know, you, you can't be saying uh, one day like you know, mindset is everything, and then the and then uh, the, the next day, like you know what, mindset is you shouldn't care about mindset. Here's why, you know, because otherwise people would be like, what? What are you talking about? What? What are you all? About? <laughs> so, 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 there's two those two constraints. Right? You need to come up with like some consistent content about like delivering like different angles of delivering different ways of delivering the same message in a consistent manner, like you know, every single day. So the way I do it, uh, I do it, I have several methods. The number one thing is I plan all my content ahead of time. Meaning that, you know, sometimes I'm just extremely creative. Like, you know, I can come up with like 10, 20 content ideas just by walking on the street. I just write down everything into Buffer. So Buffer is the app I use to schedule my post. And then once I have those ideas down, then I can create a post out of it. So that's the first thing I do. The second thing I do is I read a lot of content. So from uh, creators, so for example, like Justin Welch is a great is a great resource. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dave Gerhardt as well because he's in B2B marketing and that's something I do a lot as well. Uh, you know, I just look at what these guys talk about and then I'm kind of like, okay, what could I say in response to what they're saying? You know, so it's kind of, I use those, those posts as like brain teasers and then that kind of helps like, you know, uh, spark my creativity. That's the second thing I do. The third thing I do is I just uh, I just force it through. So I think it was uh, uh, I think it was Ed Sheeran who was talking about this creativity uh, this creativity tool. So what he does is he just he just uh, compares it to like a pipe, and you know so you have the old water in the pipe, and you just need to get rid of that dirty water until you have a clean water that comes through. And so pretty much you just have to purge your creativity pipe. Like, you know, you just write all the terrible ideas that you have. Like, you know, you, you just put them on paper. You don't have to worry about whether or not they're good. And then after a while, you come up with the good stuff. And, you know, you kind of force yourself, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to sit down here and I'm not going to leave my desk until I come up with 30 content ideas. And so what, what's going to happen is the first, you know, you're going to have like five or six obvious ones. Then you're gonna have you're gonna stretch yourself like you know you're gonna get another five or six that are like eh, well, okay. Then you're gonna come up with like maybe five terrible ones, 
But then the last 10, you're really going to have to think about it. And that's where you're going to come up with something that's really unusual because you're going to have to go very deep into your topic. And the thing is, most content marketers, they don't go deep because they don't have time because, you know, they want to do like, you know, they have other stuff to attend to and they don't make the effort to go really deep. And I think the key is uh, you, you, you go really, really deep. So how do you go deep? Well, you know, you can just generate a lot of ideas and then at one point you will come up or you make sure that you know your audience extremely well. You know, we're talking about Justin Welsh. Why is Justin Welsh so good at his content? You know, he's a good writer. He, he's a good writer. But I think, and I think he will tell you the, the, the very same thing if you ever have him on, on your podcast. He will tell you the very same thing. He is extremely successful because he knows his audience's problem extremely well. And why do, does he know them extremely well? It's because he's coached probably a good like 100 to 200 people. And he has access to a pool of three to 400 people in his community who are expressed, who are sharing their problems to him every single day. So he knows exactly what problems they have and he can break, he can create content that's completely tailored to what they're looking for. That's why he gets all the engagements he's getting. That's why he gets all the comments he's getting because people are kind of like, yeah, he's talking to me. How does he do that? Because yeah, he just talks to his audience all the time. Yeah, exactly right. If we were to do a case study on his situation, he's built a beautiful pipeline where it's funneling back in himself with his community that's kind of conveying his own issues. And then on that community, it pays for revenue streams. He's also then speaking to an audience that funnels again another content course that he's developed for another revenue stream. So it's, it's again, this overlaying way of just having these inside outside funneling systems of creation of content that speak directly to his audience's problem and he's getting into the inner workings of his audience's problems by having people literally tell him what their audience what their problem is right exactly and then yeah he just knows what the problems are and then creates a course and then here's a solution to your problem and very exactly and even during his coaching sessions like you know if, uh, like you know he charges like upwards of thousand dollars an hour but then you know you get a lot of value out of those thousand dollars. Like I took I took your coaching with him. I got a great I got a great amount of value from him. Why? Because he knows exactly what problems we're running into because he's seen it like hundreds of times, and so he knows exactly like oh you got this problem. This is exactly what you should do, and then you apply it and like boom it's working, <laughs> you know because he just knows. But that's why he charges that amount of money because he's able to charge like premium price because he has because he has that much experience. Yeah, that's, that's true regard there. And I'm curious again, in, in your in your own situation in developmental content and such and becoming from teacher to content developer. And I remember when we first came across each other's content, we were early in it and we were both kind of instructors and educators at the component and teaching people that regard. How did you transition into and in becoming a content basically marketer if you will uh well actually i became i became a content marketer so i started posting content because so to give you some background so covid hit thailand really bad uh the economy was terrible and i was working at the language school and so business went went down and as a result the yeah i had to take a pay cut so that just wasn't cutting it for me like financially wasn't working out and um 
Yeah, and then I started like spending more time on LinkedIn because I was looking for a job, and I started like coming across like Justin Justin's content actually, and uh, yeah, and then you know I I look at his content, and I'm like, you know what, that doesn't sound too complicated. I'm gonna try it out, right? So I, I tried it. I was terrified because you know that was the first time I was posting on social media, uh, but you know I, I said to myself like you know um, on December thirty first, twenty twenty, I'm saying okay tomorrow I'm gonna post for the first time on LinkedIn. I'm going to post every single day for one month and then see how it goes. That was my my first thing, and then my first post did really well. I, I joined a community called the Free Free Six Five Challenge. So it was pretty much like posting every single day for the year you know, an accountability group and, and everything. And yeah, so long story short, like, you know, I got I got into like posting every single day and then I moved to, up to twice a day. Uh, and yeah, because I just wanted to put myself out there and the, the goal for me was to attract recruiters. And what happened was, so I started like, you know, people started messaging me and stuff. I started like, you know, interacting with people. And one of those people was my, my current boss. So my current boss is one of the biggest growth marketers in France. Like, you know, you worked at a very successful company uh, in France called Germinal. It was one of the big growth. It's kind of like Vayner Media, but for, for French. Uh, and so what happened was uh, he was launching his own growth marketing agency and he's based in Thailand. And he was seeing my content like every single day because, you know, he kind of enjoyed my content. And then he messaged me and like, hey, do you want to join? Do you want to do growth marketing? And like, you know, we need someone to help uh, our clients with like content marketing and like LinkedIn personal branding and something. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. And yeah, so that, that's how I got into it. So my, my point is, uh, you know, your personal brand, like if you have a strong personal brand and you put yourself out there and you, um, and, you know, you get in front of people's eyes, people are not really going to care as much about your experience or like what you've done before, they're going to focus more on like what your personal brand is bringing to the table. Like what my boss saw in my personal brand was like, you know, I knew about like storytelling, I knew about content content marketing, uh, I knew about like, you know, how to promote yourself on LinkedIn. But then uh, let's say, you know, you want to do another career, like let's say you want to switch to, like let's say you're a teacher, you want to move to software engineering, well, you know, you can post content about software engineering and just show how good you are. And then at one point, someone's going to say, you know what, this guy's pretty good. I should probably interview him. And that, that's, that's how it works. The great thing about personal branding is that you can just choose whatever whatever you want to do because chances are people don't know you already. And so you can just, you know, you can be who you are, like, you know, at work and like in real life. And then on social media, you can just be someone else, uh, like, you know, try to be someone that you want to be and uh build a personal brand around it yeah i think a lot of people are probably a little fearful about putting that out there and knowing your backstory of being that shy kid in elementary school and the playground and all the sorts stepping into it now being a content creator creating content what's the biggest piece of advice if you will of somebody that's wanting to push stuff out there has not pushed it out there yet so uh, the first thing, so I'll, I'll give three pieces of advice. The first thing is uh, commit to a process and commit for a period of time. So for me, I didn't say I'm going to get 100,000 followers. I didn't say, oh, I'm going to post every day for a year. Oh, I'm going to get a job in three months or something. I said, I'm going to post every single day for one month. And then after one month, if I hate it, 
and that's fine. I'll just move on to something else. If I love it, I'll continue. Um, if I feel like I'm wasting my time, I don't have to do it. So that way I'm kind of like, I make a commitment and then I give myself a way out. So even if it doesn't work out or something, I'm kind of like, you know what? Even if after 10 days I hate it, I'm kind of like, you know what? Just push through another 20 days just in case. And then you make a decision like at the end of January. So, so that's the first thing. Second thing is find a crowd, like find a community of people who are going f- and ideally you want in that community, you want three types of people. You want people who are ahead of you, who kind of serve as role models and kind of guide you through the steps because they've been there so they can help you like, oh yeah, you know, you're in this stage right now. This is what you got to do to get out of it. So for me, it would be people like, like so it would be people uh, like Michelle Griffin, who was like, you know, a bit ahead of me and she was man, kind of running that community. And also the people like way ahead of me, like like Justin, for example, is a great. It's a he's a great example of someone who was way ahead of me, and he kind of. But then, like what I got from him was like about consistency and the content style stuff like. So that's the first type of people. Second type of people, you want people who are at the same pace. So people who start around the same time as you, with whom you can like share encouragement and you can share notes. Like you know, uh, so for me was would be guys like. Like guys like you, guys like uh, Michael Scott, like uh, Steve George, kind of all started at the same time, and we, you know, we would like exchange messages. Like, hey, you know, I tried this post; that worked pretty well. Or, uh, what do you think of this thing? Oh, maybe I would change it. Like, you know, you kind of like share notes because you're all facing the same problem at the same time because we're all growing at the same pace. So that's the second thing. The third, or the third type of people, it will be finding people who are behind you. So kind of like, you know, paying it forward and like helping the people who are behind you, because these guys, not only, you know, it's it's a nice thing to do to help them, but most importantly, it's going to, talking to these guys is going to show you how far you've come. Because sometimes, you know, when you're in the thick of things, like, you know, you're laying in your skill, oh my God, there's so much to learn. I'm not getting better. It's still terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you talk to someone who's just started and you just start talking about like content marketing and content creation or something, but like, whoa, 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 that's too much information. And you're like, oh, okay, I, I, I do know something about content creation. All right. But you don't realize it until you talk to these people, right? Yeah, so that's yeah. why you, you want to have a community of like, you know, people who are ahead of you, people at the same level, and then people who are, um, and then people who are, who are uh, a bit behind you. And then the, the, the third piece of advice is just, do it every single day. Like, you know, just do it ex- very, very often. Like, make it a habit. So that way you can just test. Uh, you can just test different things. And that's it. And the, the thing is, you know, the more you test, the more you know what works, what doesn't work. And then you can double down on what works and, like, you know, then what doesn't work. And, yeah, that's it. And one last piece of advice is no one cares about you. And I don't, I don't, and I don't mean to say it like, you know, to be mean or anything, but it's, it's true. Like, you know, I've seen some terrible content. Like, you know, even, even today I saw some terrible content. I have, I don't remember who posted it. <laughs> you know? uh, and that's, that's fine. You know, I mean, you know, I understand like, you know, people have different opinions, people have different views, people have different objectives, people are at different stages. But the thing is, you know, you don't have to worry about, oh, people are going to make fun of me or something. Cause yeah, people. Yeah, people are going to say, like, oh, that's terrible. And then 10 seconds later, they forget about you. So you're actually in a very safe environment because people are not going to remember what you did uh, the, day, the day before. 
Yeah, that's the blessing, right? <laughs> Humans at least have a short-term memory, you know. We have moving yeah. forward most of the time, we forget quickly about you, that you, bad you do stuff. have some pieces of content, but usually those are like the terrible pieces of content that went viral for some reason. These ones I remember the poster and stuff, and I'm like, I have zero respect for you. <laughs> but, but, but that's like maybe like one or two guys. But yeah, like. Those poor people there that <laughs> get stuck into that void. But I think a lot of people that are, you know, just trying to find their voice. And I remember, and you can probably attest to it as well, of just trying to create content and try to find your audience and find your voice. And what am I going to talk about? You've gone through different stages. I've gone through different stages of what my content looks like. I look best and then the past year, I'm like, I w- what was I even talking about there? That doesn't make any sense, you know? So, I think the biggest piece of advice for these people or anyone that's just trying to find their voice is you have to do it. You have to show up. You have to get creating in order to figure out what comes natural. Right. And especially on difficult days, because, you know, you have some days like it's going to be easy and like, you know, your post is doing well and people are are commenting and it's all good. And you're like, okay, great. You know, I'm killing this. And then there's going to be some days for whatever reason you know, you're tired, uh, you had a bad day at work, your post is not taking off, like you, you get a hater like commenting on your content, like, oh, yeah, you're, you're prophetic, it's happened to me. And yeah, I mean, that's just the way it is. And it's in those difficult days that you're really going to, to test yourself. And that's where you're going to learn the most about yourself and about your voice. But you know, there's no such thing as a perfect voice. You know, even if you look, uh, you know, you, you look at my content, like I've had, I've had like, you know, I started off, I was posting just about anything. Then I narrowed down on learning, like kind of like learning and development, adult learning. Then I pivoted to LinkedIn content creation. And then I pivoted more to like growth marketing, digital marketing and things like this. So you see, like I pivoted three times. Like, you know, I, I started off doing one thing and then I pivoted three times and I'm still here, like, you know, going strong and stuff. So, you know, your voice evolves with time you don't have to figure out your voice like right now uh, like so like it's a it's a it's an ongoing thing so so the, the best way the, the best way is to just do it and keep on doing it and and yeah it's going to change it's going to change because you know you're going to change and it doesn't matter if you're like just getting started you're a small creator or a very big creator you have some very big creators who change their voice too and that's fine because that's what keeps it interesting you know i mean if you if you don't change your voice you just get boring after a while Mm -hmm. yeah that's absolutely right right and that's the thing is that i I love to tie that back into in the mindset of regards of things is the art of mindset in my in my relation to it is that again we are an evolving art form, if you will. The art is art is a contextualization of reality set by patterns and beliefs of what we set into realization. You put a mindset behind that and that's where beliefs and patterns and ideologies and all of these ideas come up into play. And that's the, that's the living, breathing experience of human humanity, if you will, is that we can evolve, we can change, we can pivot and we can grow in that regard is that if you are an entrepreneur, an innovator, and in, uh, a leader, it's okay to to pivot out there, but you got to get going now if you're wanting to do it. Right. It's all about having the mindset of saying, you know what, I'm, I'm probably going to suck in the beginning, but I'm going to get better every single day. Like it's just, 
Yeah, I mean, it's all about, you know, I mean, it's a big cliche, right? But it's about getting like 1% better every single day. To, to which some people will say, yeah, but it's actually not linear, you know, but the core principle is you still want to try to make progress towards your goal. That should be the goal. Uh, like, like, yeah, your goal every single day should be to make progress towards your ultimate goal. That That's what it should be. Whether you reach it or not, that's a different story. But the mindset should be like, what can I do to, what can I do better? What can I do better at work? What can I do better in my life? What can I do better with my family? And then if you have that mindset, then you're going, you're going to learn because you're going to open yourself to new experiences. You're going to open yourself to feedback. You're going to uh, take that feedback a lot better because, you know, you're not going to worry so much about your ego because, you know, you're, because, you know, your goal is to get better. And in order to do that, you need to take feedback and criticism. So, so yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, like, you know, if, if there's one takeaway is yeah your mindset is everything and i think like you know a lot of the problems that you see in entrepreneurship and in companies and stuff like that is just a mindset problem it's just people are not interested in getting better or people want to have like a quick win or something and they don't have the right kind of mindset to say you know what i'm just going to start here and we're just going to iterate and get better and uh even though that's the right thing to do yeah, I think that's a bit, that's that if you if you nailed any right last nail in the coffin, if you will, on this entire show is is again is that uh, that ideology there is that you're not going to make a unicorn company your first first time, right? You're not you're you're not maybe ever going to make a unicorn company, and that's okay. You're not going to become the Google, right? Don't aim to try to become Google. Uh, you should really just try to do what you want to do and then evolve on that way on that journey. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even if you look at the most successful business people, like like the Google guys, they didn't show up one day and say, you know what, we're going to create the biggest company on the internet. <laughs> you know, they just they just created a search engine to organize information and, you know, they, they couldn't see it. They were about to, they almost sold it for like, what, a million dollars? And, you know, even they couldn't see it. And But, you know, then one thing led to another, and, you know, they kept their, their open mind, they stuck to it, they focused on getting better and staying true to their vision and look at where they are today. So, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect in the beginning. You can always, like, figure it out as you, as you go along. But the, the, the main focus should always be, like, how can I get better? How can I do things better? Yeah, I think that that's the the big takeaway there. And uh, tying it back to what we were saying about mindset and figuring that out, in the past five years, I'm curious if there's any been, there's been any new beliefs, new ideologies, new mindsets that have risen in you that kind of kind of improved your life or changed the way you think about things in the past five years. Uh, I think the main the biggest change was how I reacted to criticism. Uh, I used to hate being criticized, uh, like you know, whenever I had. Like, you know, whenever I would get a bad review or something, like, I would just take it really personally. And even even in, on LinkedIn when I started uh, last year, whenever I would get a bad comment, like a negative comment, it would just crush me. Like, you know, I'd be like, oh, wow, this guy doesn't like what I'm posting, what's what he's talking about, he's stupid, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but then what one, one, one switch I made was, like, I kind of, uh, so I, I, read, I read Mark Manson's book, like, The Solo Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And what I did was, like, yeah, I kind of, like, allocated my attention to a few people so there's a few people whose opinion i care about because you know i respect them and because they're experts in 
your field. So for example, in the field of family, like, you know, I'm going to respect my parents' opinion. I'm going to respect my brother's opinion. I'm going to respect my wife's opinion. And that's pretty much it, you know. So if my friend says, oh, this is what you should be doing, and we're like, yeah, okay, thanks, but I'm not interested. You know, <laughs> Same thing with content creation. You know, if, uh, you know, if uh, Justin shows up one day, Justin Well shows up and says, hey, maybe you should try this, this and that. I'm like, okay, I probably should listen because he knows a thing or two about content creation, right? Uh, like, same thing, like, you know, I really respect my boss. I, uh, you know, if he gives me some advice on marketing, I'm going to listen. But the thing is, it's about like being very selective about whose opinion you care about. So if I have some random dude who says like, oh, your post is stupid, I'm like, uh, I don't know you, I don't care. I don't care, you, you have like, you know, have you ever posted something on LinkedIn? No, so who are you to tell me what to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Again, I love that, that book's a great one. It's a, it's on our, it's on my list of reads. <laughs> I gotta get into it, but just that, the art of selecting, you know, who really matters and who doesn't really matter in, in our lives. And we give too much power too many times. At least I can attest to my own personal development is that I've given too much power to somebody that really doesn't matter. Right. And that's like, why I had somebody not even a week ago tell me that my post was complete bullshit. And I was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and that affected fine, me. Man. And it's <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, at the end of, but you know, also another way to look at it is if you are getting negative feedback on something, that means you're interesting. Like you should worry if everybody agrees with you, because if everybody agrees with you, that means that you're too like mainstream and you're not standing out enough. Usually you look at the most successful people and especially in the content marketing space, but it's in marketing in general. They're very, very specific. Like this is not for you. This is for these guys. And if you're not happy about it, then you know what, I'm, that's fine. I'm not interested in talking to you. Uh, like, you know, there was this ad uh, for a drink called uh, Liquid Death. And what, what happened was, so they got a review and like you guys saying, like, this is the worst product I've ever seen. Like, I hope you go out of business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what they did, they, they took a screenshot of a, of a comment, put it on an ad, like with a, with a can of Liquid Death next to it. And they put the caption, proudly not for everyone. And I think that's just brilliant because it just shows like, you know, they're a polarizing company and they're just okay with it and they're just so authentic about it. And I think that's, that's just brilliant. So, I, yeah, I mean, I mean, put it this way. If people are re- reacting negatively to your company, that means you're doing something right. Like, you know, either like, you know, if they're jealous of you or they don't agree with you. And that's great because if they don't agree with you, that means you, the people who agree with you are going to agree with you a lot more. Uh, a lot more because they're going to be like, oh, you know what? Like, you know, you have someone to throw stones at now. <laughs> so, so, so it's fine. It's fine. You know, it's part of the process. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely true. And I, I love that. And I, I know a lot of content creators push that same message is that you got to be borderline controversial, right? You have to kind of go against the stream in the way of thinking. And like, this is something that somebody's been not telling you about, or this is not for you. This is for right. XYZ so, so people. So if there's a small caveat for it, like there's stuff you can be controversial about, like, you know, digital marketing and stuff like that. There's stuff like, like you know like social like you know civil rights like you know like racism gender equality and stuff like yeah i mean you can, you can try to be borderline controversial if you want but you know do it at your own risk i strongly recommend going against this because that's just wrong <laughs> yeah, i mean there's there's like good there's like healthy controversy and there's unhealthy controversy 
Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good caveat there. That's a good add-on. I appreciate that. But moving into kind of coming to the end of the show, it's been great talking to you, Florine. I got a couple questions that I always like to throw out to my guests. One of them is if you had any piece of advice to tell to any young person that's starting up, coming out of high school or maybe in their mid-20s, early 20s, what would it be? And kind of just, you know, what would you tell them? All right. Well, it's going to be super cliche, but it's start creating on LinkedIn. And here's why. Like the thing is, when you create content on LinkedIn, you're going to find your voice, you're going to find your personality or something, but you're also going to stand out. And because you stand out, you're going to get opportunities. Like, for example, let's say you're applying for a job. So you apply for a job, uh, let's say, uh, uh, I don't know, you apply at, uh, at a job for Coke, for example. So you want to work at Coke. And so you apply and then there's, an, there's two guys, right? There's one person with a LinkedIn presence. There's one person without a LinkedIn presence. The recruiter is going to feel a lot safer giving the job to the person with a LinkedIn presence because despite the interview or something like this, there's a lot more data about the content creator than about the other person just because there's just more to work with, right? And the good thing with content creation is that you can kind of control the messaging that you're, that you're giving, right? So you don't have to tell everything about yourself. You can just highlight kind of some stuff about you. So that's the first thing. That's, that's the first reason you should, you should build on LinkedIn. The second thing, the second reason you should build on LinkedIn is it's your asset. You know, so let's say you work at Coke and you hate it. Well, you know what? You still have your personal brand that you can leverage to either start your own business or to find another job. Like, you know, uh, if you, like, you know, let's say, uh, let's say, you know, I, I love my job right now, but let's say for whatever reason, I'm, I'm tired of it tomorrow. You know, I've got 14,000 followers. I just put a message saying, hey guys, I, I'm uh, leaving my job. I'm looking for a new opportunity. I can guarantee you I have five offers. And so that's just very powerful because you just don't, you just don't play. You're just not on the same playing field as everyone else. Like, you know, there's the job market for everyone where you kind of have to throw your CV around and like, you know, apply to 100 jobs to get one interview. And then there's the new job, like the sort of hidden job market where, you know, it's just people who have who put themselves out there. And then they just say, hey, I'm available to this, that and this opportunity. And then people just contact them saying that, hey, I got something for you. But the only way for recruiters or for business owners to know about you is for you to show yourself, right? They're not going to look for you in particular. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful piece of advice, truly and honestly. And I think that's what we're kind of seeing where we're at right now in the world is that personal brands becoming more powerful and that people are reinventing the traditional job search approach. Like you said, putting out your application to a hundred different companies. Uh, Well, look at me. Here's what I've been doing. Now I need something come to me and, and, it, and it's even it, it's even it's going to be even more powerful in the future and that's going to be more in the entrepreneurship space because you know right now there's a lot of changes coming in digital marketing like you know with the tracking you know digital ads like on facebook and google the price is only going to go up right so it's going to be more and more expensive to acquire customers for paid marketing the thing is if you have a strong personal brand people are going to buy from you just because it's you so, for example, like I'm um, going to go back to that example of a company called Germinal, where my boss used to work. They grew a company to, like, I think, four million a year in revenue, just off LinkedIn posts. All right. So their business model was like they would post on LinkedIn, they would, they would end up being top of mind. So whenever like a company needed a growth marketing strategy, 
they would think, okay, let's contact those guys at Germany now, and there you go. And that's how they build their business. So, so again, like it's it's very powerful now. It's going to be even more powerful in the future. And again, you have absolutely nothing to lose. Like no one's going to care if you fail, and it doesn't cost anything. All it costs is maybe like an hour of your time every day. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Right, you don't have to volunteer your entire life and then become addicted to social media or anything exactly. in regard of that. Use it as a tool versus like consuming it. Right, you actually switch the script on that. Exactly. Moving into the next question, I'm always and this kind of tied into what you just said. But what do you what are you most excited about in the near future? Uh, most excited about that's uh, that's a good one. Oh, there's, there's so many so many things I'm excited about. Yeah, so, so, so many things but right right now like what's something I'm really excited about is the new LinkedIn audio uh, coming up so it's so pretty much like for those of you who don't know like LinkedIn is launching an audio feature which is pretty much it's pretty much designed to put clubhouse out of business uh, and it's it's just great you know it's a really powerful tool like you know right now it's still in the beta version so it's still a bit like you know there's still some improvements to be made but I think it's going to be such a powerful tool for personal branding and i'm really really excited about it wow yeah that sounds a lot like like you said radio show radio talk shows podcasts live but strictly audio that's definitely something that's going to be and i think that's going to be a new wave again people are trying to consume stuff without having to hold their phone or hold their technology right around them right right no so, it's, so that's something i'm really excited about and it's a and it's a learning curve you know i mean it's kind of like podcasting the first first time you do it it's kind of awkward but then you keep iterate you keep you keep on iterating and then it's uh, you become better at it right exactly like that it's just like being again that consistency factor um so yeah it's always good florine to call to have you on the show again i thank you so much is it's uh, i enjoy your content i enjoy everything i see and and your growth in that regard and i appreciate you coming out and talking with us today no, always happy to always happy to help out and thank you so much for having me on the on the show. It's, that was a great experience. Lots of fun. And that's this episode of The Art of Mindset with me, Brian LeSage. Before you head out, I want to ask if you're still listening, could you please go down to the description of this show and click the link for the Art of Mindset survey and give us your feedback of what do you think of the show so far? We're trying to build and adapt the show for future seasons. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're looking to get more content from Florian, be sure to click on his links in the description as well. And as always, stay curious. Keep expanding. Mm-hmm.